Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, keynote and TEDx speaker, and author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. As listeners to the podcast know, our goal here is to help you become the best version of yourself. And by doing so, we bring in guests who lead their own lives enthusiastically and have different directions to help us to do so. So we really are proud of the lineup of guests that we bring. If you listen on a weekly basis, pretty hard not to become better over time and more positive, more proactive, and more enthusiastic. And we have a terrific guest today who is going to help us deal with that love-hate relationship that many of us have with food, uh, who's going to help us to learn how to manage our lifestyles in such a way that it contributes to greater health and greater enthusiasm. Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson is an adjunct associate professor of brain and cognitive sciences at the University of Rochester. She is an expert on the psychology of eating. In addition, she's president of the Institute for Sustainable Weight Loss and the founder of the worldwide Bright Line Eating Movement, which I'm sure we're going to learn a lot about. Her first two books, including Bright Line Eating, The Science of Living Happy, Thin, and Free, became New York Times bestsellers and instant Hay House favorites. Her work weaves the neuroscience of food addiction with powerful insights from positive psychology, internal family systems, and 12-step recovery to outline a roadmap for achieving true integrity and self-ownership, self-authorship around food. The Bright Line Eating mission is to help 1 million people around the globe discover lasting food freedom, which sounds terrific, and have their bright transformations by 2025. So getting a million people to do anything between now and 2025 is a Herculean task. I know that Susan is the person to to shepherd it through, but we're going to learn all about it. So, Susan, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. Oh, thanks, Ron. It's great to be here. Thank you. So let's get into it because, I mean, this is a topic that everybody is concerned about. Many people are struggling with it. Uh, I certainly don't need to tell you about the obesity epidemic and some of the preventable illnesses that are occurring because of improper eating. But I'm really kind of interested in, again, as I said, everybody's uh, kind of thinking about this. How did you happen to make it your life's work? Uh, Completely by accident. It was just my own meandering path and my own struggles and experience more with addiction, I would say. The issue with 
food and weight struggles is often actually an addiction issue, which isn't something that people talk about a lot, but I come from serious addiction. I had a weight problem, uh, but a mild one, a very mild one as a kid. And as a teenager, I did weigh more when I was 11 years old than I weigh right now. And by the time I was in high school, I was concerned about my weight. But what I actually did was I found drugs and I liked to party. I liked the sort of yeah, just the whole drug scene at the time. And I also noticed that it helped me control my weight and my eating and my, the drug use ex- escalated pretty badly from the usual sort of pot and alcohol and some psychedelics up to crystal methamphetamine and then cocaine and then crack cocaine. And by the age of 19, I was um, a high school dropout and a prostitute and addicted to crack cocaine pretty badly. And that uh, was my state until I was 20 when very mercifully, uh, I got struck clean and sober and started working a program of recovery. And I haven't had a drink or a drug in 27 years. Mm -hmm. And that remains sort of the bedrock of my life and the biggest miracle in my life. And what happened then was, um, I got fat really fast. Uh, the, the, the drug addiction just hopscotched right over to food. And because I had just been so embroiled with drug addiction it was very obvious to me right away that my eating had become an addiction. I could see the parallels really, really clearly. I wasn't just overeating. I was using food in the same way that I used drugs. And so I knew I was a food addict, you know, by the age of 21, I just didn't know what to do about it. And I spent years and years in various 12 step food programs, seeing therapists and group therapists and hypnotherapists and, joining gyms and trying exercise. And finally, all that time, my weight climbed. I was obese by the age of 26. And at the age of 28, I finally sort of found a formula that worked for me and lost my excess weight. And so I've been in a right-sized body, or I call it a bright body, um, you know, a body that's right for my genetics, my frame feels comfortable for me, you know, I'm, I'm pretty short. I'm five foot three and it's a U.S. size four sort of, you know, my mom's not that big and so forth. So for me, that was quite a significant weight loss because yeah, obesity is obviously quite a bit heavier than that. And, um, I've been in that body now for 18 years, which is, you know, according to the research, you know, it's not entirely unheard of, but it's exceedingly rare for someone to go from obese to slender and then keep that weight off for decades. So meanwhile, after I, you know, around, so I, I got clean and sober. I was a high school dropout. Right. And I've been just doing drugs hard for years. Well, I went to community college. Thank God for the community college system. I'm a big fan. It gives people like me sort of an on-ramp back to education. And, um, then I kept going with my education and I ended up with a PhD in brain and cognitive sciences from one of the top schools in the world and started studying the mind and the brain and how a brain like mine can go so far off the rails. And I started helping people lose their excess weight and teaching people about food addiction. I was a college professor for 16 years and I had taught a college course in the psychology of eating. And then in my personal life, I was helping people to lose their excess weight just for fun and for free. And as I was teaching people about the neuroscience of food addiction, I got the idea in my morning meditation to write a book. It really came in my morning meditation, like a mandate. Like I had to write a book called Bright Line Eating. The the title Bright Line Eating came in my morning meditation. And that was in 2014. And I just set off to try to write a book. And what ended up happening was 
in order to get a book deal with a real publisher, I needed to build a following in advance. And then I started an email list to build that following. And the email list just took off. And I started offering a course online and and that exploded. And the worldwide bright line eating movement just, just created itself. It really just took off. Okay. Well, I'm wondering just, uh, well, first of all, what is the term bright line eating mean? I mean, yeah, right. So obvious term for me. Totally. So a bright line rule is a legal term that refers to a legal standard or a rule that gets applied consistently to produce predictable results. And a bright line in AA is don't drink alcohol. Right. And if if you're not alcoholic, but let's say you're going to be the designated driver for the night, you might use a bright line rule for the night and say, my bright line for tonight is I'm not going to drink any alcohol. And that would be wise, because if you say I'm just going to drink moderately, but you're the designated driver, a moderate consumption of alcohol is a fuzzy line. It's not a bright line and it's not really clear when you've crossed it. And so you might end up you know, not in a good spot if your intention is to drink moderately. But when you use a bright line rule, you're going to get predictable results, right? You're going to be a safer designated driver that way. So in food, it's hard, right? I mean, when I quit drinking and using, I knew what my bright line was, no drugs, no alcohol ever under any circumstances. When I quit smoking, the same thing, no, no cigarettes ever with food, it can be tricky to know what bright lines will support you if you find yourself eating potato chips and you know chocolate and certain things pizza addictively you can't have a piece of pizza you try and you say you're going to have a piece of pizza but you end up having more than that and then more food and so the bright lines are no sugar no flour and that takes care of the addictive foods that takes care of the substance addiction to the to the heavily processed foods those white powders act in our brain like drugs and so we we have a bright line for those but then also there are bright lines for meals and quantities and that structure around when and how much we eat handles the process addiction to eating the the addiction to eating for its own sake, right? A lot of us get hooked on just eating as a, as an addiction and as a pastime, as a crutch. And so the four bright lines are sugar, flour, meals, and quantities. And that provides a structured framework for eating that helps people who've had a lifetime struggle with food and weight to finally be successful. It turns out counterintuitively, it's not something our society is very fond of, but it turns out that in certain domains, a lot of structure can actually produce incredible freedom. That's that's really, really interesting. It's in really pretty profound. A lot of structure can produce a lot of freedom. Yeah. Um, so we're going to learn more about that. But one of the things, as you were talking about, I mean, many of us in growing up uh, and in, in adulthood have been in environments and exposed to alcohol, drugs, and so on, uh, smoking, and and didn't take it on ourselves. And I guess I'm wondering, are people who tend to be on the overweight end of the continuum, the obese and so on, are they personality-wise different? Is, is there an addictive personality? Are, are people who are obese different than the rest of us? Great question. It turns out that they're separate things. 
but they are correlated to some degree. So some brains are susceptible to addiction, addiction of all kinds. And there are personality traits that go along with that heightened sensitivity, like emotional sensitivity, uh, impulsivity, right? Lack of impulse control. And those folks tend to know who they are, but if you don't know, you can go to foodaddictionquiz.com and you can find out in the food domain, right? Where do you fall on the scale of susceptibility to food addiction, right? But actually it, it turns out that it's relevant to all addictions. Not everyone is susceptible to addiction, even to heroin, right? Just think about all the people that go home with uh, opiate prescriptions after a major surgery, like a back surgery and have to take pills regularly for days or weeks or even months. And then when it's time to wean off, they just do, right? But some small percentage of people get addicted. And not everyone, it turns out, even needs a, a cup of coffee every morning at the same time. Some people drink caffeine when they want some willy-nilly. Uh, they can smoke a cigarette at a concert. So there's a continuum of addictive susceptibility in humans and in rats, um, in every animal that we've studied. One third are highly susceptible to addiction. One third are moderately susceptible and one third are simply just not susceptible at all. Now, obesity and weight struggles are correlated with that because, of course, if you're susceptible to food addiction, then you're going to have more of a weight problem on average. But it turns out that there's a lot of other factors involved, too, namely just propensity to store body fat. And not every body is equally likely to store body fat. So you do see a correlation where actually, interestingly, you'll find this fascinating, but the two uh, BMI categories that are most likely to be highly susceptible to food addiction are the very obese, not shocking, and the underweight, hmm. interestingly, showing that food restriction is actually the other side of the same coin. Like if you're restricting your food enough to actually be clinically underweight, which is tricky, like clinically underweight is way too thin. Mm -hmm. um, that is the other side of the food addiction coin, but absolutely someone who is moderately obese or overweight as opposed to at a normal BMI is going to be more susceptible to food addiction on average than someone who is currently at a normal BMI. But don't be fooled because actually 22% of people at a normal BMI right now, 22% of regular weight people test out as full-blown food addicts in our current society. And how are they not overweight? Well, they might have just a good, strong, resting metabolic rate, and they might be controlling their food intake with all manner of, you know, I know people who, for example, they, they'll run 10 miles and then allow themselves half a cup of non-fat frozen yogurt, you know, and they're all the while they're thinking about what they've eaten or not eaten, how many miles, how many calories, how many pounds, whether they're on their plan or off their plan. And so food is taking up way too much of their headspace. And yet to, to our appearance, they look like they're in a right-sized body. It, we'd be shocked to know that they have a food issue, but it's practically taking over their life. So food is controlling them even even if it doesn't look like it from yeah. an appearance standpoint. Now I'm going to uh, probably give you some breaking news that you may not be aware of, but there are actually a lot of diets out there. <laughs> and I know some of them, I, I know people who have been, you know, essentially diet junkies have gone to one, uh, achieved some moderate degree of success, fell off the wagon, went to another and so on. 
what is the difference between what you're doing and you know all these various you know diets that are are being promoted absolutely great question and um yeah bright line eating is for those folks bright line eating is for people who've tried and tried and tried and tried and still hold out hope that they really might find a solution that works someday and are willing to put in the true effort to make it happen and are willing to do what it takes and bright line eating it's it's so shockingly different it would blow your mind pretty much the advice that we give and the way we structure our program is so different from any diet that's out there and from normal regular sort of general best practices around eating and so forth and that would make sense right because what we do really works and we've got some uh, amazing peer reviewed scientific published journal articles that speak to the outrageous efficacy that we're having and given the abysmal failure of the diet industry in general, it would make sense that something that actually works would have to be doing something radically different. So here's just some bullet points of what we do that's so different. Well, I already said, we, we, we suggest bright lines for food. Every other plan is a plan of moderation in some form, right? Where you've got, you get uh, cheat days or free meals or uh, free foods. You can eat all you want of these foods. I think pretty much everything we eat in bright line eating, for example, doesn't count as any points in Weight Watchers because these are considered such healthy foods that they're just free. Like you just eat as much as you want and then save all your points for cake. There's no saving your points for cake in bright line mm -hmm. eating. There's no one point brownies. Uh, we're literally just saying, here, here's what you eat. It's pretty structured. There is an abundance of food. Uh, people do not go hungry in bright line eating. As a matter of fact, for the first two months of bright line eating, their hunger levels drop and drop and drop and drop until there's little to no hunger anymore ever. Their craving levels drop and drop and drop till there's little to no cravings anymore ever. Bright line eating actually heals people's brains the way they've They've had their brains hijacked by these crazy foods that we've got in our food supply. When you stop eating them, that heals. But so we're saying three meals a day with nothing in between. There's no snacks. There's no grazing. It's three meals a day with nothing in between. So that's different. We recommend no exercise at first. It's not a no exercise size forever plan, but there, there are asterisks there. Like if you are exercising because you have clinical anxiety or depression, and this is one of your treatments for it, then absolutely keep doing that. If you uh, have an exercise regimen that is so ingrained that you've been doing it for years at the same time of day, and it's habitual, keep doing that. But if you're not a regular exerciser, this when you're starting Brightline Eating or any diet is not the time to start an exercise program. And the reason is that you need every bit of your willpower initially to set up the structures of how you're going to eat differently now and to wire them in until they're so automatic that it's like brushing your teeth. And going to the gym and working out burns up your willpower and it creates a compensation effect where suddenly you're justifying, you know, a frosty and some fries and a milkshake or whatever, because you just worked out three times this week. So we want to take that load off of your brain and we want you resting as much as possible. So that's different advice. Yeah, we I've really heard that before for yeah. many diet plan. Yeah. Well, and the reality is exercise doesn't make you thin. There are a lot of scientific studies on that that show that exercise is great for all manner of things. And I could, you know, sing chapter and verse, the the amazing blessings of exercise, but getting you thin is not one of them. It's not one of the things that exercise does well. However, getting your food dialed in 
will help take the weight off you. And the getting the food right is what you've got to do if you want to lose weight. So focus on the food, let the exercise go for now. I'm just talking about four months. Give me four months to dial in your eating. Then you can get back to exercise. So I could go on and on, but we have a very different approach at Brightline Eating and radically more successful results. Oh, that's so interesting. And, and just in terms of the mechanics of it, I mean, do you have sample diets or do they get food from you or how, how does somebody proceed with, with. Sure. So when you start bright line eating, you get a food plan and it includes pretty much every whole real food. So, uh, you know, the perimeter of the grocery store, right. All the fruits and vegetables, all the meats and dairies. If you want them, if you want to be plant-based, uh, you can totally do that too. Very easy with bright line eating. You can be keto or paleo with bright line eating. All of those things work in terms of macronutrient combination, but, uh, you'll get a food plan and then we have you go to the grocery store. We don't make any money off of selling fake foods or packaged foods or anything like that. We say, you know, no, 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 you're going to go to the grocery store. You're going to buy carrots. <laughs> you're going to buy, you're going to buy food. And we teach you how to eat it in the right categories and the right quantities to lose your excess weight. But the, the magic isn't really in the food plan. The magic is in the system behind it that rewires your brain to get it finally working with you to get your food dialed in, to get it automatic, and then to give you a life structure that supports that way of eating, including enough social support, including the right habits around gratitude, meditation. It's a whole lifestyle change that we do at Brightline Eating. But yeah, you get a food plan when you start, and then we send you to the grocery store. But it's more of a lifestyle change than a, than a specific diet. It is a lifestyle. And, you know, people ask that a lot, you know, there's a common, commonly said phrase out there that, you know, diets don't work. You've got to have a full lifestyle change. And I often wonder if people have thought about that deeply when they say that, like, what does that actually mean? I mean, I think it means a few things. One is it means there's no end date, right? You're not going to do something for a little bit to lose a little bit of weight and then go back to the, to the way you used to eat, because then what's going to happen is a few months later, all your weight's going to be back on again. That's clear. And the research is super clear on that. But what I think a lifestyle change is, is it's really a change in identity. You've got to adopt a way of eating that you're going to do for the long term. I've been doing this for 18 years and we started Brightline Eating seven years ago. And we've got a lot of people who are still around seven years later and they lost their weight in the first four or six months or the first year or year and a half. And they're still going. And it's really about this is how I eat now, kind of like becoming a vegetarian, right? When someone is a vegetarian and you offer them a steak, they don't say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm on a diet. I can't eat that. Right. What they say is no, thanks. I don't eat meat. And, you know, when someone passes me a donut, I, I don't say, oh, I can't eat that. You know, it's not my free day. I say, no, thanks. I don't eat sugar. I don't eat sugar. You know, it's an identity thing. And that's, that's what a lifestyle is, is it becomes who you are. Okay. I ask, I ask each guest at least one dumb question. Um, <laughs> And Always a good policy. I'm a fan. Lay it on me. What so if it's not dumb about, enough? <laughs> what's so bad about sugar? What's so bad about sugar? Oh my gosh. Let me count the ways. <laughs> so from my perspective, from the life I've lived, the biggest thing that's bad about sugar is it makes you want more of it. 
it makes you want more of it. So it's not so much the, the, and, and it doesn't do that for everybody. I just got to say, not everybody is wired with that kind of sweet tooth, but for those of us who eat some sugar and then want some more, it's a plague. It's terrible. It's terrible. Another thing I've noticed about sugar is it makes my thinking really negative, kind of like not getting enough sleep, you know, like really not getting enough sleep. It just turns me sour in my thinking. Sugar makes you depressed, which is terrible. Sugar, of course, you know, is really just bad for the body and bad for the blood. It causes inflammation. And, you know, another horrible thing that sugar does is by raising triglycerides, inflammation, and baseline insulin levels, it blocks a hormone that's really important that a lot of people don't know about called leptin. And leptin is the hormone that tells you you're full. And so what sugar does is it creates this weird kind of hunger that exists now that didn't used to exist. It's called, I call it insatiable hunger. This is when you've had a big dinner and you're full and you could tell that you're full. If you ask yourself, you're full, but you still want to eat so badly. And you go to the the pantry for chips, or you go to the freezer for ice cream and you bring it to the couch and you're eating and you're watching TV and you've had a full meal. And then when that bag is gone, that box is gone, that container is gone. You want some more food and the eating never ends. It never ends. So sugar creates this terrible, insatiable hunger. Sugar creates wicked cravings. Yeah. Sugar is a scourge and in part because it's so damn delicious, right? Like, oh my gosh, it's just, it's just, it's like a drug. It is a drug. You know, we have doctors out there who are estimating that sugar is 10 times more addictive than cocaine. They did this study with rats where they injected them with intravenous cocaine, shots of cocaine, and the rat could press a lever to get the cocaine. And then after they were fully addicted, they made them not have any cocaine for a few hours. So they were quivering and they really wanted a hit. And then they gave them a choice between a hit of cocaine or some sugar. And they chose the sugar under those conditions. It's just shocking how powerful this stuff is. Boy, okay. She answered my question. <laughs> glad I asked it, even though it probably was a dumb one, but I'm glad I asked it. You did mention the fact that it, it really requires a bit of a change of identity as you move into this new lifestyle, which brings me back to some previous guests that I've had on the show. And I've had a uh, range of people who would say that one in particular who would say, well, this is in essence kind of related to body shaming. You know, isn't it better that the person accepts their body and doesn't spend, you know, four months uh, feeling that they're doing the wrong thing? Whereas I've had others who say, you know, you're talking about people who are on their way to preventable diseases, earlier de early deaths, and so on. And it, if it hurts their feeling a little bit to get healthier, that that's that's okay with me. I, do you encounter any of this issue about body shaming and whether you're uh, where you are in relation to somebody who hopefully we want people to feel good about themselves, but uh, and not necessarily make it dependent on, on uh, a particular behavior? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is a really important question. And I, I really invite 
a nuanced conversation around this, right? I don't think it's helpful to use a sledgehammer where we need a scalpel to get in there and really, you know, carve out what we're talking about, right? So um, as someone who is constitutionally inclined to carrying a lot of weight, who carried weight as a child and an adolescent and in my 20s, all through those years, those formative, formative years, you know, being heavy, it it's not something that I think about really uh, in terms of trying to motivate people to lose weight at all. What I think is that for those people who'd be inclined to do something like Brightline Eating, there is an inner knowing that's happening that's unrelated to shame or judgment or perspective or anything coming from the outside. There's an inner knowing that I've got to do something about this because when you're eating the way you eat before you do something like bright line eating, it is clearly out of alignment. It is clearly harmful. And as your body size grows and grows and the pain sets in, the neuropathy in the feet sets in, the joint pain sets in, the, you know, you go to the doctor and maybe you start to get diagnoses, you know, around diabetes or whatever it is. But even just the eating, I used to eat pints of ice cream with tears streaming down my face, literally not wanting any more and not being able to stop, right? And so many people have uh, sworn that they would eat a certain way and then watch themselves supposedly, apparently change their mind on a Friday night and start eating you know, foods and just wonder like, what happened to my resolve on Monday morning? I was not going to do this, right? And so there's a search for inner integrity and authenticity and freedom that someone's looking for. And, you know, it's really not a body shaming, body acceptance issue. It's like the person knows that there's something out of alignment, that their eating has kind of gone off the rails, that their brain is hijacked and there's something that that isn't right and they need to do something about it. And so that's really the domain in which I operate, right? And I absolutely support a world in which there's uh, no discrimination, shame, judgment around any of this. And when people say, how do you convince people to do bright line eating? I say, I don't, I'm not in the convincing business. I'm in the like offering a roadmap to people who are looking for one, you know, business. That's what I do is for people who are looking for an answer. I've got one for them. And those people know who they are. Yeah, this is so educational and so informative. And I know we're up against uh, time frame, but there are a couple of groups of people that I like to always ask about. And one, just in terms of the, the spread of our uh, listening audience covering a broad age range, uh, one, we always have a number of parents of younger kids listening in. And I, I mean, one of the things that really disturbs me is how the obesity epidemic has impacted on youngsters. And if I were a conscientious parent who was about one third my age and had kids uh, <laughs> growing up, um, what kinds of things could I do to, I, I guess, ensure is probably the wrong word, but to, yeah. to, give, to give my uh, kids a good start? Yeah, it's the hardest thing in the world. I do have three young kids and feeding kids in this environment, this food environment is the hardest thing. It's so bad. It's terrible. Brightline eating isn't for kids, first of all. And what we can do is 
really hold true to meal structure, right? Kids need meals at regular times and provide foods that you feel good about serving, eat with your kids and really let go of whether and how much they eat from what you provide. And if you do that consistently, you will raise good eaters. You will raise, the research shows, eaters who eat about like you. <laughs> so watch your own eating, right? And how do you feel about raising eaters who eat like you? That's that's what I would say to that. And just God bless, and I'm sorry, it's just the hardest job in the world to, to raise kids in this environment. The research shows that right now, children and adolescents... In the United States of America, two-thirds of the calories they're eating are now classified as ultra-processed foods. Like they were born, they were born in a factory and poured into a bag. Two-thirds of the foods that they're eating. It has gotten really bad. We we've got some chickens that are going to come home to roost, I gotta tell you, over the next couple of decades. It is we're about to hit 50% obesity, I think, next year in the United States. That number is about to come out. We were 42.4% in 2018, but then the pandemic hit. And then, you know, 42% of the people in the United States gained unwanted weight during the pandemic. So I think we're probably at 50% now. We weren't supposed to get there till 2050. No, 2030. We were supposed to get there at 2030. So I think nine years early, we got there. And um, yeah, and and kids, oh my gosh, I had kids over at my friend, my daughter's birthday party the other uh, day who didn't know what chicken and rice tastes like. I was like, what do you eat? And they said, mac and cheese, you know? They were like, what, 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 it's like, we were at an Asian place. They were like fried rice. What is that? I don't know what that is, you know? And I was like, it's rice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so yeah, times have changed. Yeah. I mean, that's really disturbing. Those, those numbers that you're throwing around. Yeah. Um, the other group I always like to ask about are kind of my peers and some of the people who say, I've, you know, I've always been heavy. Is there, can you do, can you make the change at any point or is it too late? And is there any benefit to doing it later in life than, uh, you know, if you haven't done it already? Absolutely. So I have some really positive research to share with you. We have lots of people who do bright line eating starting in their 80s and 70s and, you know, in the later stages of life. And what our research shows is, Contrary to every other program, contrary to what you've heard, people at any age at Brightline Eating lose weight equivalently. Like in the first two months, someone who is 70 years old or 80 years old will lose weight as fast as someone who's 20 or 30 years old. Hmm. Now you might think, how is that possible? Because, you know, after menopause, after a certain age, uh, it gets harder to lose weight. Well, it it does the way most people do it. But with bright line eating, because we stop eating sugar and flour altogether, what happens is we take estrogen out of the equation. Now, women and men both have estrogen, but it plummets at midlife. You know, when you go through a change of life, both women and men, estrogen tanks. And estrogen facilitates the effectiveness of insulin, which is a fat storage and fat release hormone. And without estrogen in the mix, you don't get as much grace around eating foods that really need insulin to process them well, like desserts and so forth, right? And so all the things that you're eating, you know, the treats that you're eating after midlife, those are the ones that are going to your waistline. But when you take sugar and flour out of the equation and you start eating only whole real foods, 
that becomes a non-issue and you start to lose weight equivalently. And I got to say, it's easier to do bright line eating when you don't have the responsibilities of kids, you know, act, young kids in your house and a full-time job also and so forth. You could just focus on your habits, your structures. Bright line eating can be an absolute gift and restore a feeling of youthfulness and vitality uh, that is just such a gift at that stage of life. So uh, bring it on. We've got lots of people who start Brightline Eating at the ages you're talking about, and it works really, really well. Well, that's really encouraging because I I know you can uh, you can make changes. While I was never obese, I know that you know once I implemented a different way of eating, and you know I I know I won't eat between dinner and breakfast. Mm, Good for you. Breakfast and lunch. I sometimes uh, allow myself a snack between lunch and dinner. I may have to work on that, but, you know, I know that, that, you know, you can adapt to that. We know that uh, you can adapt to having a a largely plant forward diet. Uh, You know, so I, I just think that there's a lot of changes that can be made that if somebody had asked me, uh, or told me years ago that hey, you can't just not eat sometime between dinner and, and bedtime that, uh, you know, how can you function? I probably wouldn't fall asleep and so on. And you, and you fall and yeah. you learn that, that it's different. So we've run out of time much too quickly, but we do have enough time for you to tell us how people get in touch with your program, how they find your book, everything that can help people to become, again, better versions of themselves so they can live their lives more enthusiastically, more healthy. And uh, again, the science now is out there that indicates the healthy people can live well into their 90s and beyond uh, the hundreds. And uh, if you're going to do that, you really want to be able to not be spending your time visiting the doctors and living in facilities and stuff like that, as opposed to being as active as possible. I think it all starts with the way that, that you, with the overall lifestyle that starts with the fuel that you put in your body. So why don't you tell us about how, how we can do that? Absolutely. Well, the easiest way is just go to brightlineeating.com and it's spelled um, just just the usual way, B-R-I-G-H-T-L-I-N-E, brightlineeating.com. And what you'll find there is a free trial where you can get started today for free. And after that, it's really reasonable too. It's 20 bucks a month and you can save 40 bucks by just doing the annual plan. It's 200 bucks a year. And those are literally round numbers. We're not doing 1999 on you. It's $20 is $20. It's just flat. So um, you can trust what, what we do at Brightline Eating is we try to make things as just clear and simple as possible. And when you sign up for the Brightline Eating membership, we hold your hand and we get you started from day one. You've got a clean planning and preparation process that gets you all set up, gets all your tools and supplies, and we just launch you strong. And you know, research shows that after two months, you will have lost clinically significant weight and you'll be maintaining it for years. You'll keep losing your weight and have your bright transformation. Come join us. And we'll have all this information in the show notes. And uh, since you did have New York Times bestsellers, um, don't know if you need to sell any more books, but <laughs> tell people 
where they can get your book. Sure. Yeah, I have three books out. Yep. And they they're they're just beloved books. Yes. Brightline Eating is the first one. And then the official Brightline Eating Cookbook is the second one. And then a book called Resume. Resume and it's spelled R-E-Z-O-O-M. And it's a book about getting back on track and about conceiving of your journey in the first place in a way that you're not going to be crashing and burning after a, a, a brief period of success. It, it helps you to get off that crash and burn cycle that so many of us, that merry-go-round that so many of us have been on for so long. So those are the books. You can buy them anywhere they sell books because, uh, yeah, as you said, New York Times bestsellers and, you know, so Barnes & Noble or Amazon or wherever you like to buy books. Great. Well, I've uh, kept you a lot longer than I thought I would, but I was so interested in it. I, I'm really, you know, just want to make sure that the listeners get the, the greatest information that they can. Uh, they can see your enthusiasm about eating healthy. Uh, congratulations on overcoming the start that you had in the eating business and really helping so many people because, you know, I, again, the, those are scary figures. 50% yeah. or more uh, people obese. That's uh yeah, it's not not good. So hopefully we can make a dent in this and get people to really do something that's attainable. And I so appreciate, you know, you're spreading the word and hopefully people will be in touch with you. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks uh, so much, Ron. It's been a treat. Great. So this brings to a close another episode of Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser, our special guest today and really informative one is uh, Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson. We've learned a whole lot about eating in a healthy way and you have an avenue for helping you achieve that if you're not doing that at this point. Please tell your friends about the episode. Listen to it again yourself. There's more information. Download it, uh, rate it, review it, and be back next week uh, when we'll have another really informative and helpful guest. In the meantime, I hope you'll visit our website, the Mental Health Gym, where you can get all sorts of information regarding positive psychology, my own spin on it called Goal Achieving Psychology Wellness, rejuvenating, and lots of other kinds of things. It's also the place to communicate with me. So until then, let's take this advice. Let's eat healthy. Let's be in touch and learn more about Bright Lion eating. And for those of you that really need that boost, really want that boost, sounds like a very painless and cost-effective way of getting where you want to go. And so until next time, it's Dr. Ron Kaiser signing off. Thanks again to Susan and everybody have a real good week and stay safe.